the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Although my dad died almost eight years ago, we were and remain as close as any father and son can be. Much to my mother's chagrin, we talked endlessly about health care, politics, leadership, and Missouri football. We worked on boats together, played golf together, and grilled burgers together. And from time to time, we were even known to share a wee nip of scotch and on a particularly good day, probably too. I love him, and I miss him every day. But the void in my life runs far deeper than simply sharing good times and swapping stories with Dad. You see, I'm my father's son in so many ways. In no small measure, this defines who I am, how I've grown, and what I hold most dear. It was from Dad that I learned the strength of faith and family. He taught me the courage of conviction, the force of language, and the obligation of service. And he gave me a profound appreciation for the inherent worth of societies elected and rejected alike. Truly, the ideals nurtured in me by Dad remain today the bedrock of my life. However, like so many fathers, it wasn't just dad's values that shaped me, but his wisdom, his practical counsel. And no exchange with him has endured longer or served me better than the one we shared on a Sunday evening in early March 1965, the 7th of March to be exact. My parents returned home from dinner with friends find me sitting on the sofa in our den sobbing, having viewed television coverage of Bloody Sunday and the beating of civil rights marchers on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. As we talked, my tears turned to rage. I pounded my fist into the sofa. I decried a country that would tolerate such hate. Then spent to the point of utter exhaustion, I just collapsed into the sofa and cried. Some moments later, my dad sat down, wrapped his arms around me, and softly said, Son, don't let their hate become yours. A dad's guidance for the life he wanted his 15-year-old son to live, the values he expected me to embrace, practical wisdom to last a lifetime. How remarkable it is then that on this Father's Day we're invited to explore a text so rich with wisdom and guidance, not from our dads, but from Jesus. But before we get to the heart of this morning's Gospel, Matthew wants us to understand the context in which Jesus' advice was offered. Today's lesson opens with a summary of Jesus' ministry to date, traveling throughout Galilee, teaching, preaching, healing, and proclaiming the good news. No doubt his was a ministry unlike any other, inspiring, 
charismatic, hopeful. How frustrating it must have been for Jesus to realize that he couldn't do it all. He couldn't be everywhere. And he couldn't engage everyone individually, personally, intimately. Despite his best efforts and the breadth of his reach throughout Israel, Jesus still came across crowds like the one in this morning's gospel. People who were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. We can readily imagine him looking out over the crowd and simply sighing. So many people, so many needs. Indeed, he lamented, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But rather than being overwhelmed by the challenge, we're told that Jesus had compassion on the crowd and all those who had not yet heard of God's reign. So he summoned his most loyal disciples, 12 of them, to share more fully with them his ministry, his authority, and his power. Notably, however, theirs was to be a pastoral ministry, casting out unclean spirits, curing diseases and proclaiming that the kingdom of God was close at hand. Teaching, that prophetic voice, was still a ministry reserved by Jesus for himself, at least for the duration of his temporal life. And then strikingly, were to note that their mission was to be to fellow Jews, not to Gentiles, and certainly not to despised Samaritans. Yet even with these limitations, the task confronting the newly commissioned apostles certainly was daunting. Perhaps to ease the burden of their responsibilities, Jesus offers counsel likely developed and honed in the crucible of his own ministry. Like the wisdom shared by our dads, Jesus was intent on preparing his disciples for the journey ahead by offering them practical guidance and life lessons. Don't expect to be paid, he tells them, and don't take any money with you. Travel lightly, don't pack, wear only the clothes on your back and the sandals on your feet. Rather than self-reliance. Jesus exhorts them to trust in the kindness of strangers for nourishment, for shelter, and for support. And most importantly, he reminds them that not all will go well. Not every home will welcome them, and the peace they share may not be returned in kind. Don't pity yourselves, become demoralized or get angry, he commands them. Just shake the dust from your feet as you leave that house and move on. Jesus concludes his exhortation to an advice for the twelve apostles with a reminder of the harsh reality of the ministry they're about to undertake. Truly the forces of evil await them, like wolves preparing to pounce on unsuspecting sheep. Politicians and religious leaders will feel threatened, he reminds them, and put them to the most difficult of tests. 
and abuse them in the most painful of ways. But just as disciples are to trust that those to whom they minister will care for them, so too are they to trust that the Spirit of God will give wisdom to their voice and shepherd them from harm. What a profoundly important text to shape the beginning of the lengthy journey of this season of Pentecost. The first half of the church year, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, and Easter, highlights God's saving action in the world through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The second half, which we've just embarked and often called Ordinary Time, focuses on the life of the church and the ministry to which you and I have been called as the body of Christ. Toward that end, today's gospel not only launches the work of Jesus' first disciples and offers them practical guidance for carrying it out, provides some initial direction for us 21st century faithful. First, Jesus' own example reminds us that ministry is not a solo performance. Just as he came to understand the need to share the demands of ministry in a world which brokenness and pain are so ubiquitous, so too are we to treasure, nurture, and share the many gifts for ministry within our own community. Some of us, you see, are called to renovate houses, some to a mission in El Salvador, some to carry communion to the homebound, and still others to assist in worship. As Jesus noted, the harvest is plenty, and laborers are always in need. However, Jesus' admonition to avoid ministry among Gentiles and Samaritans, I think strikes all of us as a bit disconcerting and certainly confusing. After all, is he not the Christ who welcomes all, embraces all, loves all? And isn't it Jesus who sent the apostles to make disciples of all nations? Yes. But that imperative is not revealed in Matthew's gospel until the final verse, long after Jesus' death and his resurrection. Jesus' mission especially as Matthew and his largely Jewish community understood it, was to restore and renew a messianic faith of God's chosen people and focus their attention on that reality made present in Jesus. For us, however, two millennia later, Jesus' message is not one of exclusion or limitation on our evangelism. Rather, I'd like to suggest that he's offering us wise counsel to remember that effective and vibrant outreach depends on a spiritually healthy community, a spiritually healthy Church of the Holy Communion. The pastoral care of those within our midst is in fact essential to building a solid foundation for our work beyond these walls. The prayers we offer the flowers and meals we share, and the support and care we provide to those when they are at their most vulnerable 
are and rightfully must remain a priority. Finally, Jesus concludes his advice to the disciples with the assurance that those who refuse to welcome them, those who fail to love justice, do mercy, and walk humbly with God, those who hate them will not prevail. Not then, not now. The gift of God's Spirit promised in this morning's text and made known to us on Pentecost will enable us to speak truth to even the most powerful, disdainful, and hateful. The water which washed us in baptism will continue to mark us as witnesses to God's healing presence in a world so often in disarray. And the Eucharistic meal we'll soon share at this table will continue to nourish us for the arduous journey of life. So this morning, let us be thankful for the advice given to the apostles so early in their ministry. Let us rejoice in the wisdom and counsel Jesus so freely shares with us. And dear friends, let us shake off the dust and get to work. There's a harvest waiting, and we need all the laborers we can summon. Amen.